0: Good morning. Good morning, great to see you. My glamorous assistants are just passing out some sheets, um, you'll, you'll need one for this morning. Uh, it's just, there's quite, a bit of, there's quite a bit of information and it might be helpful for you to have one of those sheets to take away rather than trying to remember everything, but you are more, more than welcome to make notes on there too. If you want to make paper airplanes out of it, do that discreetly so that I can't really see. Anyway, it's great to see you guys and welcome and thanks for, um, thanks for coming today. I wonder if you've ever had a conversation something like this. What kind of name is Vineyard for a church? Has anyone ever had that conversation? I mean, what, just what kind of a name is it? I don't know if, if you're someone who regularly comes here, um, I wonder if you've ever got into a conversation. What, so what's the name? So what, what church do you go to? Um oh I, I go to Winchester Vineyard. What what even is that? Is that a church? It doesn't sound like a church. Vineyard, you say. Sounds like something to do with wine. Maybe you're visiting for the dedication today and, and Michael and Laura said, Come along to our church, Winchester Vineyard. And you went, Vineyard? What, what does that mean? Um I was talking to somebody last year about my job because uh, uh I've been working here for three or four years now, and um he said, So 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 you're like a pastor or vicar so 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 where's your church and so i said oh it's um you know it's, it's on the industrial estate um down bar end just on the way to the dump that that's that's genuinely how i describe where we are we're the church by the dump and um his genuine response was um i didn't know there was a church there uh, but i've seen that vineyard place what is that a wine distribution warehouse <laughs> I said, no. I get asked, another question I get asked is, so, so are you, are you Church of England? You don't wear a dog collar. And, um, oh, oh no, no, you're one of those happy clappy churches. How do you describe the kind of church that we are? Um, m- my simple and quick answer to this, um, which I'll give you now in one minute, and then we'll take the next four weeks to unpack the less simple and less quick answer. But my simple and quick answer is that over history, churches tend to fall on one side or another of a spectrum, okay? And some of them are sort of extremely to one end and some of them are extremely to the other end or somewhere in the middle. But basically, basically over history, you're either a word church or you're a spirit church, okay? And what I mean by that is if you're a word church, then you're really into the Bible and you're really into reading the Bible and studying it and getting to know it and trying to apply it to your life. And that's fantastic, On the other hand, there are churches that might fall into the mono experience category whereby they would say, well, it's just all about having an experience with God, having an encounter with God, feeling him, feeling his presence in some way. And neither of those are wrong. But when I try and describe the kind of church that we are, I try and say we're in the radical middle, which is the name of a book um, about John Wimber, who I'll talk to you about in a minute. And the radical middle is somewhere in between both the word and the spirit. The Bible and the experience of God. Holding them both in tension. It's never easy to hold values in tension. Anyway, over the next three or four weeks, I want us to unpack what this really means. What on earth is the vineyard? That's the name I've, just, uh, the, the name I've given to this series. What on earth is the vineyard and what does it mean to be part of it? The vineyard has been called many things. Some of them have been polite. Um, a movement, a denomination, a tribe. A family, I really like this definition, we're a family with a purpose. And currently we're part of the Vineyard family, which here in the UK has about 111 churches across the UK and Ireland, and several hundred churches worldwide. That's the movement that this church was planted and birthed in, and we're very much part of. And like all families, there are going to be people who feel a strong sense of connection to that family, And others who perhaps don't feel that so much, that's okay. Maybe you joined this church because something about the values really resonate with you. Or maybe you just came because you know nothing about the vineyard values, actually just somebody brought you or you just met God here or you encountered him in some way. And it doesn't really matter to you what movement you're part of. Whatever it is that brought you here, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. But today and for the next three or four weeks, I want us just to take some time to explore exactly what the vineyard is, what those distinctive values are that have shaped our movement over the years. I'm not, by the way, let me say this very, very clearly. I am not in any way suggesting that we are any better than any other church denomination or movement. I'm not in any way saying that we've made it or we've got it or that this is the only way to do church. It really isn't. But this is simply the way that God has called and led us over the years. And some of you have been here for a long time, you're part of the vineyard, and this will be a a bit of a refresher course for you. And others of you may be new to the vineyard, and this will help you get a better understanding of the the wider context of the movement that we're part of. Others of you might not even call yourselves a follower of Jesus at all. You might say, well, I'm I'm not even a Christian. I'm just on a journey exploring faith. And that's just fine. If if you're in that place, I hope that today is helpful for you. You're more than welcome to be with us. And uh, I hope this goes some way to helping with some of your questions. As I said before, there are loads of great churches. This is not the only church. And there are loads of ways of expressing faith. But I just want to talk about how it is that God's called us to do the thing that we call church here. So, um, in order to do that, I just want to tell you a little bit about this guy. Can you pop the first slide up for me, um, Charlie? He, um, you can't really talk about the vineyard without talking about this guy, John Wimber, who, um, was kind of, is, is well known as the founder of the, of the vineyard. I just want to give you a li- little bit of potted history about him. This guy uh, was a musician who was raised in uh, America um, and into his 20s, kind of moved to Southern California, was becoming fairly successful as a musician. Um, y- you've heard of the band The Righteous Brothers. Well, w- Wimber kind of was um, signed up to produce um, the, the Righteous Brothers album. He, he was... If he'd have stayed involved in the music business, he, he would have been part of that whole scene and part of that whole group. Um, so he was pretty successful. He'd been raised with no church background, no faith at all. And to be honest, um, around the early 60s was on the verge of a marriage breakup. And at that point, having kind of explored every other option, started to look at faith and Christianity um, as a way of um, resolving some of his marriage issues with Carol, his wife. Um, and uh, actually made a commitment to follow Jesus about 1962-63, um, and joined the Quaker Church at the time in Southern California. Now, in his first decade as a Christian, John led literally hundreds of people to Jesus. By 1970, he was leading 11 different Bible studies in a week, involving more than about 500 people in his local community, this guy was a gifted evangelist and pastor, and he became a minister initially in the Quaker church, but really struggled in the traditional church, um, basically because what he was observing was that for many churchgoers, their faith seemed to be all talk and not much action. And that was the, those were the questions he was wrestling with. And later on, he started his own church, his own congregation, as part of a movement called Calvary Chapel. And one thing that they had determined early on, was that they would be a church that whatever else they did, they prioritized for helping the poor, for actually living out their faith as well as just talking about it. And as well as that, John and Carol and the church that they were with began to pray for the sick, following instructions that they'd read in the Bible. Earlier, when he'd first got saved, Wimber had gone to his church leaders and said, I've got a question. When do we get to do the stuff? And the church leaders said, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? The stuff. What do you mean? The stuff. When do we get to do the stuff? What stuff? The stuff that's in the book. The stuff that I'm reading that Jesus did. You know, he healed people. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He preached the gospel. He fed the poor. When do we get to do that? The response at the time was, oh, we, we don't do that. We read about it, but we don't do it. And Wimber determined that if he ever got the chance to lead his own church, they would be people who did stuff. And so following instructions that they read in the Bible, they decided that they should start to pray for the sick. And although initially not much happened, they persisted. And pretty soon they began to see God back up his words with works. And they began to see the Holy Spirit move. And they began to see people getting healed. This was something they hadn't really experienced before. And it caused John to go back to the Bible and say, is this really right? And whenever something perhaps slightly odd or weird or a bit, of, bit out of the ordinary happened, again, they would go back to the Bible and check it out. And this was a journey for their church that not everyone in their movement found easy. And eventually they were sort of encouraged to join a, a little splinter group away from Calvary Chapel, which had taken the name Vineyard. Just three or four little churches, a handful of little churches in California all with the similar aim to live out their faith in a simple and relevant way that was accessible to those who hadn't been to church before. To worship, to feed the poor, to pray for the sick, to encounter God's presence and power. And around 1981, this church became Anaheim Vineyard. And John became the need. I mean, he was a natural leader. He was the obvious leader and became the leader of this fledgling little church movement, which has continued to grow to this day. One of the key distinctives was the importance of training others to be involved in ministry. You might have heard us say this before, the value that everyone gets to play, that it wasn't about Wimber on the stage and everybody coming to listen to him talk all the time, that it was about constantly giving away ministry, giving away ministry, giving away ministry. And so as a result of that, many, many churches were planted, many leaders were raised up, right across the USA, right across the world, to be honest. And even more than that, many, many leaders of existing churches were encouraged in renewal, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this was the case in the church I grew up in. I grew up in a Baptist church in the north of Leeds. Um, I was a teenager in the 80s there. Wimber didn't come to our church, but he came to Sheffield down the road, and one of his teams came to our church. And as well as the intimate worship and this kind of Holy Spirit ministry that was that was literally was new to us. As well as all that, which was, which have become so much part of what we do here. I mean, you know, and some of you can remember this. This was pretty radical stuff back in the eighties. This was a, this was a big journey. It, in my church, it caused some people some real problems. You know, it caused many people to go back to the Bible and say, is this really God? Is this okay? Is this appropriate in church? Wimber said, uh, I I think I might have told you this story before recently, but I'm going to tell it again because it's a good story. Um, So he he, he tells this story about um, one time they had such a powerful encounter of the Holy Spirit. It was on Mother's Day in 1981. I'd love to show you the video, but it's too long. Um, Maybe you can look it up online. And he he says, uh, this is on Mother's Day of all days. God shows up in church. Anyway, they have um, really powerful stuff. it, It was brand new to him. It was pretty weird. And he went home and literally searched the scriptures all night. Anyway, he said, it made quite a lot of people mad. And the next week I came to church and I walked up to the front door and some people were waiting to greet me and they were pretty cross. And they said, "Um, just how far is this thing going to go? And he said, "Um, luckily, he says I have my Bible with me. And I went, it'll go as far as this book. And they seemed to be happy with that answer. And Wimber said, have you read this book? Have you read this book? There's some crazy stuff in here. Anyway, listen, I don't have time to tell you all of his story, but on the bottom of your sheet, just on the back, I've put a little link, because if you have the time, it's really worth a listen or a watch of John Wimber's testimony. Um, You can watch it online. It's on a Vimeo, or you can listen to it on a SoundCloud. Um, It's about one, one hour, 20 minutes. It's called, I'm a fool for Christ. Who's fool are you? And if you haven't yet had the chance to, to have a listen to that, just if you you know, I encourage you to check that out. It's it's funny, um, it's engaging, and he sort of it sort of tells sort of different scenes from his life from when he got saved, uh, when he uh, chose to follow Jesus to planting the church, and then to moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and all of that stuff, and how God led them through through all of this stuff. Anyway, in the 1980s, Wimber spoke at many conferences across the world, actually, and also also in the UK, among other things. He was responsible for kind of kick-starting the growth of the movement that we now know as New Wine in the Anglican Church in the UK. He was heavily involved in getting that started whilst at the same time planting vineyard churches here. I'm going to tell you the story of the vineyard in the UK a little bit next week, but New Wine in turn gave rise to a youth movement called Soul Survivor, which you may have heard of. And I just want you to watch a video of the leader of Soul Survivor, Mike Pillavarchi, who's been doing this thing for about 20 years. And here he just talks about the impact that John Wimber and the vineyard had on their ministry and all that they're doing. Why don't you watch that?
1: I was exposed at that first conference to vineyard values. And then at St Andrew's Chorley Wood, I joined the staff. Uh, the Wimbers would come regularly to our church. Uh, we, we met other vineyard leaders from the States and then in other places. And, and it, for me, it felt like I'd come home. It felt it wasn't like oh I'm hearing about this value of worship or ministry and and I agree with it. It was like oh my word they've just explained who I am, and so um, although I'm very much committed to the Anglican Church, uh, what I often say is I'm a vineyard boy in Anglican clothes. And in fact, when we when I was going to plant um, uh, Soul Survivor Watford, which is the church I still pastor now twenty years ago, and um, I went to John Mumford. And I said, uh, you know, about, could I join the vineyard? What, what did he think about that? And as we talked, he said, you know, Mike, uh, I think you're meant to be serving in the Anglican church. And why don't you have a go there? And if it all goes wrong, come and see me. And, um, and that's what I did. And so we're very much, uh, trying to serve within the Anglican Church, but all our values are vineyard values. The values in worship, the values in ministry, the values about no hype, which we try and do, the values about being accessible, uh, the values about everyone can play. Uh, this, the ministry of Jesus is for the whole church of Jesus, and, and so on. You know, it's it's all stuff that that we got from Scripture via John Wimber. Isn't yeah,
0: that great? So... That's a sort of little bit of history lesson over. I want us to talk and look at what, they, what this actually means um, in practice. And uh, if you go onto the Vineyard Church's website, they will say that there, there's a little thing there that says there are eight vineyard distinctives. I mean, there are tons of different ways of describing who we are and what we do. And over the next three or four weeks, I want us to um, to look at these distinctives. And the way I want us to do that is uh, using this guy. He's called the vineyard person. Okay, um, now this is just... You've got one of these on your sheet. This is just a description that Wimber used to use when he wanted to explain some of the important aspects of what the vineyard was all about. This vineyard person isn't referring to you or I. It's not one individual, and nor is it a full sort of theological statement of what we believe church means. But it is a simple reminder of our family history and the values and the things that direct us as we move ahead. And so it just symbolizes something of what a local vineyard church is all about. Now, um, I want us to break these values up, and today I want to talk about the first three, Jesus, the Bible, and the kingdom. Next week, we'll talk about worship and compassion, and then the church, and then church planting and training. Just a bit of a heads up um, while I think of it. Next week, um, as part of talking about compassion, um, Tim and Pippa are going to come and share a little bit about where Caris Kids is up to, and we're going to give you an opportunity to give uh, towards Caris um, pro- Kids' project. So we normally around this time do a do a gift day for Karis Kids for their summer camp. For various reasons, that isn't happening, but there is an opportunity to give, and they will explain all that next week. So I just want to give you a bit of a heads up that while we're talking about compassion next week, come prepared to uh, come prepared to give. Anyway, today I want to look at these first three distinctives, and uh, you can. Uh, yeah, you can lose it now. Thank you. Um, and the rest of what I want to say is on your sheets. That the first distinctive of the vineyard is Jesus. Now, that might sound obvious, but um, it's very important that we say this, that if the church is a body, then according to Paul in the New Testament, Jesus is the head. He's the head of the body. And as Colossians 1.18 says, when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. See, Jesus gives us our aim and our focus. And as a church community, he organizes us and holds us together. We wanna be like him. He's our role model. Jesus is our role model for life and for ministry. It's the characteristics we see in Jesus, his love, his mercy, his grace, his truth, purity, his power, his integrity, all of that that we're looking to see expressed in our own lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. We aim that Jesus' love and his character will shine through all that we do. And so you can't really talk about anything to do with church life without starting at the place of Jesus. And we're all about Jesus, and you know that. We've just spent the last three weeks looking at Jesus and who specifically he claimed he was and how he fits into the whole story of the Bible. There are just two key verses, and you'll read them referenced in the head part there. Um, and they refer to two key practices that Jesus instructed his church in. And the first one is in, the references aren't there, but I've put them just on the sheet for you. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen: go and make disciples of all nations. So with Jesus at the head of the body, which is the church, his instruction is go and make disciples. And the other verse there is from Ephesians 4 which is all about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. We're going to cover both of those things later on in this series. But it's important that they're there for now and that we reference them because this is the instruction that Jesus gave to his church, that we go and make disciples and that we equip the saints for work of ministry, that we let everybody get a chance to play. And so more about that later in the series. I don't want to dwell too much on Jesus or the Bible. I want to kind of focus on the third thing, the kingdom. But, but it's important that we know that it's there, that our first distinctive as a vineyard church is Jesus. And the second one is the Bible. We are a church that is founded on the Word of God. We are evangelicals. That's a word that we use because it means that we believe that this book, the Bible, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's a verse there, 2 Timothy 3.16, that says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The books that make up the Old and New Testament are our final and absolute authority. These are the source of our faith. The things that we believe and our practice, the things that we do. Anything that we do or believe that we can't find in here, we shouldn't be doing or believing, (laughs) Basically. Okay, how we work that. And so we aim to teach the Bible in ways which are practical and inspiring. We aim to actually live this thing out. Now, that's not always easy. It's not always easy to understand because the Bible was written in a completely different time, in a completely different place, a different cultural context. And that sometimes takes a little bit of deciphering and working out. But the principles in this book are there to help us live God's way. And we aim to not just hear God's word, we aim to do it. We aim to obey it. To be doers of the word. Who are being transformed to be like Jesus. You know, some Christians pride themselves in knowing the Bible. In knowing it and understanding it. In knowing it from cover to cover. Study it in great depth and learning many verses off by heart. And that's a wonderful thing. But it ain't much use if you don't apply it to your life. Frankly, when it doesn't seem to make much difference to the way that those people live, I just really question the value of that. You know, this book has stuff to say about relationships, about morals, about family and finance, about career. And as it says down the bottom, I've put this quote on it, isn't enough to be biblically literate. We want to be biblically obedient to. And so the vineyard person, who we are, stands on a foundation stone of the Bible stands on a foundation stone of the Bible, the word of God. There's no getting around that. There's no, that's just how it is. But how we see it and the next part is you can sort of think of it as it's also part of our foundation and that's the kingdom of God. And in this analogy, maybe you could see it a little bit like a lens. And that's just what I want to spend the rest of this morning talking about. That third distinctive, which is the kingdom of God. Now, in this analogy, like I said, this is like a lens through which we interpret the Bible. It's a theological framework. It's an understanding which is foundational to who we are. You see, right at the start of Jesus' ministry, and I've reproduced it for you there on the back of the sheet, Matthew 4.17. One of the first things that Jesus is recorded as saying is, repent because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near. This was Jesus' declaration. The kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? Well, kingdom implies an exercise of kingly rule or reign. So the kingdom of God is the place where the dynamic reign or rule of God is happening. It describes a situation where God is 100% in charge where his purposes come about, and where his people live in obedience and peace. And because of that, they experience life to the full. Now, to understand this does require a little bit of a shift of worldview. We've talked about that in previous weeks. But this description that the dynamic rule or reign of God, where everyone lives in peace and harmony, that's a description of heaven. That is what it's like in heaven, according to the Bible. But I think God has bigger plans than that. Because he doesn't just want to see his rule and reign happening in heaven. He wants it to impact on the earth. And in the Old Testament, we see just glimpses, just for a few fleeting moments, where this kingly rule and reign, this kingdom of God, starts to be manifest. And it starts to come about. One of the places we see it is in the Garden of Eden, before the fall of Adam and Eve. All was well. God and humans are living and working in peace and harmony. And then it all goes wrong. Another example is the land of Israel. At the pinnacle of its sort of political success under the reign of King Solomon. It says that there is peace. That everyone has enough. The wars are done. Worship is happening in the temple. And there is an incredible outpouring of God's blessing on the land. And that's a description, an expression of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on earth. Just for a short time until it went wrong again. And after two fleeting glimpses and several attempts on God's part to fix things, as you know, he then enacts a different plan and sends Jesus to earth. And the first thing that Jesus says is, the kingdom of God is near. What does he mean? He means he's come to enact the kingdom of God on earth. See, when Jesus is in heaven and seated on the throne, he's ruling with absolute authority. But when he's on earth, it's a different ballgame. Because as soon as he starts to declare God's rule and reign, he starts to come into conflict with the forces of evil. And Jesus didn't declare, he didn't just declare that the kingdom of God was near, he actually enacted it out. The next verse that I've reproduced here on the sheet is Matthew 4.23. It says Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among people. Healing every disease. And Jesus' ministry wasn't just one of words. It was one of works. He told stories of what God was like, what the kingdom of heaven was like, what it meant to follow him, and he demonstrated God's power Right here, right now. Engaging actively in kingdom warfare, Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons and raised the dead. These were all signs of the kingdom. And they caused the many who witnessed them to actively choose to follow Jesus and bring about his kingdom purposes in their lives. And we see transformation and we see change. And as we follow Jesus, we are also called to enact the kingdom of God in our lives. Both in our words and in our actions. And to do it in practical ways that make a difference. We are called to pray for and expect signs of the kingdom. We can expect God's presence to be with us, making a difference. And we can see God heal and work miracles in the lives of those around us. One of the great ways in which we can encourage one another is to tell stories which build up faith. You know, I'm very privileged to receive um, reports from Healing on the Streets. Our Healing on the Streets ministry, um, some of you are involved and there are teams from other churches. And every Saturday in Winchester High Street, there is a team of people who set up chairs and offer to pray for people. Here are just a few of the stories that I read on an email that came to me um, from the last couple of months. Um, they just they have initials rather than names because they don't want to give people's names away. Um, G, who had pain in his broken elbow and was grieving the loss of a friend. The team were able to listen and pray and he felt warmth. He received the Bible and a Why Jesus booklet. D and T, who wanted prayer for their father in hospital. D was moved and felt a sense of peace on behalf of her father. Someone else, A, received prayer for a bad back and right eye. G received prayer for his arm just out of plaster, that he would be able to extend it. And he felt God's presence on him and said he would come back. C, somebody else came to give testimony of healing. They had had kidney stones and the resulting pain for years, but pray, was prayed for on the streets and the pain is now gone. They had an operation originally scheduled, but when they went to, when she went to hospital, the doctors decided they didn't need to operate. How cool is that? Someone else, Jay, received prayer for depression and knee pain. She felt peace. And the knee pain was reduced. And she said she'd like to visit healing on the streets more often. Wouldn't you as well? <laughs> Somebody else, um I love this. This is just this is what was written. This is how it was written. Received prayer for protection from a series of infections. Experienced an electric shock. I don't think that was literal, I think that means and prophetic words of encouragement and said so she would attend church the next day. Um, one more, was, uh, received prayer for broken relationships to be restored. He was encouraged and seemed more peaceful. See, healing on the streets is just one of the many areas in which we are seeing God's kingdom actively demonstrated. Why don't you just watch this little video that I've got, because Mark Marx, who is the guy that came, I don't know if you remember, he was here in September to train us in Healing on the Streets. And there was a film that was made and they followed a, a team of people praying for people out in India. And there's just a little clip I'd love to show you of Mark um, praying for someone, a guy who, who obviously actually has to work through a translator. The guy doesn't really know what's going on. Um, just, just watch what happens when Mark prays for this guy's leg. This is from the Holy Ghost movie.
2: And you, have still, you still have pain now? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Okay, now I'm going to pray and we're going to see what God can do. That's, okay. That's right. No, no, no. Stay stay So, Father, I thank you for bringing us here. And God, you love this man with all of your heart. And we invite your presence to come upon him. Come right now. Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, I take authority over every injury to your knee and leg. I command uh, the joint be healed. The the kneecap be healed. I command all pain go. I speak the oil of heaven into your knee joints. And I speak right now, all pain dissolve away and go. I speak full mobility and freedom as you walk. That's right, a brand new knee in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God. All pain go, be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Okay, Now, okay, now try See how it is. Try it. So how's
1: that feel? Try it. Is he healed? Yes.
2: You're healed. The one the one who's healed you is Jesus.
0: Okay, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you. Just a quick, a quick example. Thank you. See, Healing on the Streets is just one example, one of many areas where we're seeing the kingdom of God being actively demonstrated in our towns and cities, in our communities. But actually, wherever we, the sons and daughters of the king, are called to be, then the kingdom of God is near. And all of us have the ability to call on God's kingdom power. All of us have the ability to respond to someone's physical or emotional need by praying for them, by loving them. And many of us have seen many examples when this has happened, when we've seen God's kingdom, his rule and his reign break in. It's enacted, it's coming about in the lives. And yet we're also faced with a challenge, aren't we? Because it doesn't always work. It doesn't always seem to work. Even though when Jesus prayed for people, okay, sometimes as we read, it took him a couple of attempts. But everyone he touched seemed to get healed. Although significantly, he didn't try and heal everybody who was sick. But anyway, despite our best prayers, sometimes people don't get better. And that's because Jesus started something that isn't yet finished. When Jesus came, he started to enact his kingdom rule. And yet it's not yet fully established on earth. So we're living in the time between the inauguration of the kingdom of God, the first coming of Jesus, and the consummation of the kingdom of God, the second coming of Jesus. Maybe another way to say it is we're living between the now and the not yet. We know how this was going to end. The victory has already been won over the forces of darkness on the cross once and for all time. But that victory is not yet enacted across the whole world. And it won't be until Jesus comes again. So if you like, we're in the beginning of the end times. If you want a really fancy theological term for it, it's called inaugurated eschatology. I went to Bible college for that. Not really. Um, but an, an, an easier way of describing this is perhaps, and it's kind of interesting because we're just celebrating VE Day at the minute, in Europe, Victory in Europe Day. And I don't know how much you know of your Second World War history, But there was a time between D-Day in 1944, when the Allies landed on the beaches in France, and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, when the war was over in Europe. And between that time, you could probably say, prophetically, the war is over. The beginning of the end had come. there were still battles to fight. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's the closest analogy I can get. There was still fighting to take place. And so when we pray for someone now and see them get healed, and we experience God's awesome presence as we worship him, perhaps just like this morning, when we witness real transformation going on in the lives of ourselves and others around us, that is genuinely a sign of God's kingdom. His rule and his reign is breaking in, and we can wholeheartedly say the kingdom of God is here. And yet, In what seems like the next breath, we can also be reminded of an imperfect world that we live in and see the lives of people we love struck by tragedy and brokenness and be completely frustrated when it feels that all circumstances are against us and pray really hard and not experience breakthrough and genuinely reflect that the kingdom of God is not yet here. And we hold these things in tension. And some of us hold these things in tension daily, don't we? And we can explain it theologically But that doesn't mean that it's easy to come to terms with. Maybe, despite your best prayers, people that you know really well didn't make it. People you prayed faithfully for for years, and yet they didn't get healed. How do we keep finding the strength to pray in faith? How do we keep asking the kingdom to come? That is the tension we live in, the tension between the now and the not yet. It can be glorious and incredibly painful and frustrating. Now, I know about this personally, this happened with my dad. Eight years ago, my dad died of liver cancer. He was diagnosed, he had some treatment, he was prayed for many times. My dad was a believer. Every time he was prayed for, he experienced an amazing sense of God's presence. I mean, like I'd never really seen this happen to him before, but he shook and fell over, and you know, he just he really you really knew that God was on him. He felt loved, he felt forgiven. And he really met with God, and he was so at peace, but he never got better. And about after about nine months of this kind of treatment and diagnosis, I remember him saying, do you know, do you know I just don't think God's going to heal me this time. I think it's my time to go and be with him in glory. And about three weeks later, after he spoke to me, he he, he died. He went off to be with Jesus. He saw the kingdom fleetingly on earth, experienced it for himself, actually helped bring it about in the lives of others. And now he's fully immersed in it. And after he died, I was trying really hard just to get a picture, just something to imagine what it's like for him now. I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've lost someone close to you. I mean, I was just trying to think, how, how do I even picture him now that he's gone to be with Jesus? And this is the closest I can get. Um, just to get a handle on that, uh, sometimes... Sometimes when, when we experience God's presence for ourselves, we feel just a most amazing sense of peace, don't we? I mean, I've experienced that a few times in my life, just that feeling of, oh yes, all is right with the world, I've dealt with my stuff, God is with me, and I feel that sense of peace, and for us, for me anyway, it, there's usually something that comes in to cause it not to last very long, maybe the children or work or family or something, but that, That few moments of that glorious sense of peace, I just imagine that's what my dad and my mum now are experiencing permanently. And if it isn't that, then it must be better than that, so that's good enough for me. Do you know what I'm saying? So what do we do when we feel stuck between the now and the not yet? And I've just put two things at the bottom here, just two little pointers. There's loads we can do. It's pretty much what we do with our whole lives, but... For me, what I do is I keep, whatever happens, I keep investing in my relationship with Jesus. And one verse that encourages me in that is just Psalm 46, where it says, be still and know that I am God. When things aren't going well, I know that probably the best bet for me is to be real with God about how I feel, because he can take that. He really can take that. To make the space to hang out with him and to deal with my stuff. Because even if he doesn't reveal his plans to me, he still wants to be with me. I mean, I can't always tell my kids what's going to happen in their lives and my plans for them. I can't always give them a strategy and what they really, 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 really want, I can't give them and I can't really explain that. You parents know what I'm talking about. And yet I still love to be with them. It's the time with them that I treasure most. And I'm sure that's right for us and God. And the second thing is to persist in prayer. Just being joyful in hope, as Romans encourages us, being patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Because there's no... The more we ask, the more he'll answer. There are some things you just have to put a I don't really get that sticker on them. You just have to say, I don't understand it. I'm just going to trust it. I'm just going to trust that to God. But I know that the more I ask, the more he'll answer. And to remember that we're in a war situation. We're in the midst of a war. One of our greatest war prime ministers, Winston Churchill, said this, never, ever, 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 ever give up. Well, if you can't relate to Winston Churchill, try Bear Grylls, who I've written on the sheet here, who says, run if you have to, walk if you have to, crawl if you have to, but never give up. I just want to finish the a little story. You see, right back in the early 80s, when John Wimber was coming over, first coming over to the UK, Not to start vineyard churches here, that didn't happen until later. But when he was just coming here at the invitation of local Anglican churches, uh, there were two key churches that invited him over. One was Chorley Wood that Mike Pedavachi worked at that he already mentioned, and the other was up in York, and a guy led that called David Watson. David Watson was a vicar um, uh, up in York at the church next to York Minster. And he was uh, one of the Anglican vicars who was paramount in bringing about revival and renewal in the Anglican church. Okay, David Watson was one of the first people uh, within the Anglican movement, not the first, but among the first, to really kind of pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to just really explore some of this kingdom stuff. So he invites Wimber over. Wimber gets to know them, comes to their church, teaches them all load of stuff. A relationship starts. And pretty soon after that, David Watson gets sick, and really properly sick, sick with um, bowel cancer. And, um, and, And it wasn't looking good for him, and Wimber... And his team came over at, on at least two occasions I've read about. One time specifically flew over from the States, from the other side of the States, just to come and pray for David Watson because they were just exploring this healing thing and they were really fervent. They'd seen people get healed. And they were praying and they were praying and they were praying. And David didn't get healed of cancer. And Wimble was on the, on the point of giving up and saying, well, if God doesn't heal you, then this thing must it can't work. And so therefore we won't bother anymore. And David Watson, sort of—I I don't know if this is what it was like. This is how I imagine it. I, I sort of imagine him getting, sort of leaning out of his hospital bed and imploring him, grabbing him by the collars, saying, "Whatever you do." But I know he said this. Whether he said it that dramatically or not, I don't know. But what he said was, "Don't give up praying for the sick. Just don't give up praying for the sick. Even if you've lost this battle, the war's won. Don't give up praying." And Watson died. And Wimber went on to pray for the sick, many, 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 and see an amazing ministry of healing. And then Wimber himself died later on. The war isn't without casualties, but we're on the winning side. Why don't you stand together? I don't know exactly what God wants to do, but I have a sense that he wants to come and move in power. So we're just going to invite him, and then we're going to wait for a minute. So Holy Spirit, come. Bring your kingdom Here, in the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. Send your spirit here, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence. When I was praying and finishing off this talk, um, I just had a sense that the Lord wanted to heal some people today. One of the things that I felt like God wanted to do was to just highlight people who had sore backs. I'm talking about lower back. Maybe you're here and you're in pain because of back issues or back problems. And if that's you, we would love to pray for you this morning. I believe that God wants to extend healing. I think there's some other things as well though. So... If, if you have a sense, if, if you feel like God is giving you a, a word or some specific thing that he, he's asked you to share with us, then just shout that out from where you are. Believe that God's here to heal. Welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. We're not in a rush. Right elbow. Somebody's suggesting that God might be wanting to heal. The nerves in your right elbow. Come on, let's have some more. Thank you. So that's sinuses. And a pain in the left knee. Problems with an eye, I think it's the right eye. Picture of an ear, thank you. Okay.
2: Nigel mentioned bowel cancer and that's just what keeps ringing in my ears. So if either that's something that you have or you know somebody who does. Probably not one you want. Want to own to, but God wants to heal you. I think there's a guy here with testicular cancer as well. Okay,
0: so let's do a reality check. Um, if that's you, and you, if, if one of those conditions describes something that's going on with you at the minute, we would love you to respond. We've got plenty of space. We don't want to make you embarrassed or anything, but if you were to come to the front, we would love to pray with you. So if that's you, if any of those things apply to you, why don't you just come stand in this space at the front? Thank you, guys. Come, Just come right forward. That's it. And can I also have some church people come? Anybody who's uh, equipped to pray, who's been trained to pray, anyone's in a small group, keep step forward a bit, guys. Step forward. Make some more space. Wow, oh, that's a lot. Okay. Fantastic. It may be that you've come with another need, physical or emotional, that we didn't call out, but you know that it's something that you want God to deal with. And so we pray. If that's you, again, come forward. If you if you've never done it before and you're concerned that something weird will happen, well Paul's here and he'll keep an eye out and you know we we'll, we'll help you if anything weird happens. But I'm just going to thank you for responding, you guys. Now I really trust that this is God's work here, His kingdom activity. We're not making this happen. And maybe God will choose to hear you today, or maybe He won't. But I know that you'll encounter His presence. But I'm just going to pray and then close up here because we need to go and get our kids as well
2: um i just wanted to share i arrived this morning with um quite bad sciatic pain and i was hobbling a bit um i danced during the worship and it really hurt um but it's gone and nobody's actually prayed for me so god's doing stuff
0: amen thank you claire so god's kingdom is already working here even though we haven't asked him specifically this morning that's encouraging that's wonderful now is anybody still waiting for someone to pray with them if you are, put your hand up. Thank you. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Thank
1: you. Awesome.
2: Many of you will know Andy. who You can't see at the moment. He's just down here in his wheelchair, but he wanted to share too this morning.
1: Hi. yeah. Uh, many of you will see me around in my wheelchair. Um, I'm a living example of this uh, now and not yet. You know, uh, I've got the kingdom of God in me. God lives in me. But yet... My body is still very broken, but I will praise God nevertheless because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of all praise. Thank you, Andy.
0: Why don't some of you guys gather around Andy if he's up for it and just pray for him now. Holy Spirit, thank you for the work you're doing here and now. Thank you for your kingdom, which is very present and being enacted in this place here and now. Thank you for healing power. Thank you for testimonies of kingdom healing. Thank you for strength to keep praying when we're living in the tension of the now and the not yet. Thank you for your ministry that's going on here and now. We bless you. And we bless those who are being prayed for. And we bless those who are praying. In Jesus' name, amen.